Today's guest is the author of the novel Every Anxious Wave, a solo performer and has been called a genius multiple times in rejection letters. We met 14 years ago in Austin, Texas. She's a fantastic storyteller, surprisingly good at freestyle rap, though she'll deny it if you ask her, and a fascinating person. I'm talking with Mo Davio. I'm Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Welcome. I'm so excited you're here. Me too. Today I'm talking to Mo Davio. She lives in Austin, Texas, and that's where we met 14 years ago when I also lived in Austin, Texas. Um, So back then she was just Mo, but now she's Mo. So uh, yeah, I read your book and I loved it. Thank you. I'm glad. I I still get a lot of uh, messages from people, friends and strangers who read the book and love it. Uh, it was a bestseller in Spain last year, which is exciting that I can say that I'm a bestseller in Spain. Um, yeah. And even during these pandemic times with the Spain suffering greatly yesterday, somebody ran an article in the Valencia, Spain newspaper about my book. So amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I started this project before it was there was a global pandemic. Um, right. This will be released after the global pandemic has been part of our reality for quite some time. So uh, this is going to be an interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll have to bridge the gap I'm, on that I'm, storytelling I'm, as well. I'm here for it. Like I, I'm, <laughs> I'm here. I haven't had any like physical contact with another human being in 21 days. Uh, I live alone. I'm here alone in my apartment. The only people I've talked to face to face are cashiers at the grocery store. Um, I maintain a very active uh, Zoom social life. Uh, and I thought this was going to like scramble my brains and make me have a have a some sort of mental breakdown, but it hasn't. Yeah. Actually, like I'm doing okay, and like this is just my hermit time when I like yeah myself and like become a sage. So. I'm doing a lot of like personal work right now. Uh, I love that. That's yeah. a great frame. I, I love that. Yeah. I, I know that not everyone has had the luxury of discovering their introverted side being satisfied during this time, but I relate to that very much. I, um, I think of myself as an extrovert and yet moving indoors and being away from people and, my social life being limited to scheduled time and then having a lot of quiet alone time has been creatively interesting for me, really nice for me. So I, you know, it's interesting, but I also have the luxury of living with another human being, which shifts that dynamic quite a bit. Yeah. I didn't realize there was going to be a deadline on that. Um, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I tried, but you know, things being what they are. So generally speaking, Mo, do you, how, do, how would you have described your relationship with change prior to the last few weeks? Um, like, are you a fan? Do you find it challenging? Are you, I've been using furniture as a way of talking about this with people. Like some people love to move the furniture around and rearrange the house and move the art on the walls. I, I, um, yeah, I like change. The, Grace Paley has that line in her short story, Goodbye, Good Luck. Change is a fact of God. And I think I've always functioned as 
change is a fact of God. You can't avoid it. It is life itself. Um, trying to fight it uh, is dumb and is going to just hurt you in the long run. So, um, and I do, I, I do welcome change. I welcome good change. I'm not someone who's set in her ways. I'm always open to new experiences. I love adventure. So that would be, you know, and I suspect that going forward, that will also be the case. Um, had there been changes that were particularly challenging to accept? Um, sure. I mean, the ones that I, I don't control always seem to be the ones that were the most challenging. Um, you know, my mom got remarried when I was a teenager and we moved us to another city and that was hard. And I don't think that at the time she was really, you know, on the ball about checking in with me or seeing if how, if I was okay. Um, and so that's mm-hmm. always been like hard. Yeah. So your performance life now um, is based in storytelling, is it not? It is. I haven't really done any stage storytelling since January of this year, I think was the last time, because uh, in January, I moved back to Austin after being in Portland for five years, um, and I started a full-time job. So I was sort of like get, waiting to get my footing with like full-time job, getting reestablished, and then I was going to go re-enter the theater world and pitch some stories, and uh, I started working on a one-woman show, and then this happened. Um, so that is on hold for now, which is fine. It'll give me more time to, to write what I want to write about, um, which is a story about change. I'm writing um, the, the one woman show I'm working on right now is predicated on the fact that I've made it to my mid forties uh, probably not successful enough to give the commencement speech at Smith college. Um, so they can stop me, but the theater world of Austin, Texas isn't. So I'm going to, those ideas are like, I'm going to do I love that. There. It seems like an excellent yep. candidate for the, um, oh, what do they call that fringe? Uh, for Frontera. High, high, Frontera Fest, yeah. It's my goal to do it at Frontera Fest 2021. <laughs> so, um, and that that will still probably happen. Although the, the I, like, I have pages and pages of notes that I have to like, wow, I just don't feel this way right now because like survival. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, right. So. Yeah. It's hard to tap in. This is the thing that is really striking me in this particular moment. That just bring everything brings everything to the forefront of the mind for me around this topic, which I've been fascinated with for years. Um, is that right now we're really confronted with how we feel about changes that we don't control. Right. So you know, if I move the furniture in my house. I'm making those choices. My husband doesn't love it when I move the furniture in the house because he's not making those choices. And he would like us to, he wants to have control over that. And here it's like, we're not even talking about furniture moving. We're talking about like everything that you've taken for granted. We're going to press the pause button on that and it may or may not resume. Right. (laughs) So enjoy your changed reality sure yeah no i'm here i'm here for it aiden i can do this we can do this together it's we're gonna i mean no i mean it's a privileged thing to say this but it's a spiritual cleansing uh yeah i actually i strongly believe that so yeah
Yeah. Yeah. I, st- I strongly believe that this is an opportunity. I look at a lot of things in life as opportunities, um, but I strongly believe that this moment is a, is a rich opportunity in lots and lots of ways. There's, there's all this um, time and understanding of people's human experiences that are luxuries we don't normally have. And that shift alone to me is an opportunity. Um, and I fully understand that for some people there is um, some unfortunate panic and health crisis and uh, losing loved ones that are part of that reality as well. And I would not say to those people, view this as an opportunity. Um, I think that would be a pretty shitty approach, but for the, you know, the majority of the population right now are not necessarily in that boat. So there's, there's these different boats and the challenges that come with struggle and grief, those will always be challenges that right now people are facing them in myriad of ways. What about people who are facing those challenges unrelated to their current crisis? Do they not count? You know, it's like, there's so many, anyway, my thoughts go a bit bonkers when I really dig into it, but um. But that being said, uh, I do think for uh, a significant percentage of the population, this is a, this is an opportunity, and I hope that people take that opportunity to the best of their ability. And also, sometimes the opportunity is to just literally press the pause button. You know, like not everybody has to be creating something brand new. Some people can just press the pause button and focus on breathing for a minute and get something out of that, I think. Um, well, so I would love, Ms. Ms. Mo, I would love to hear your story if you're ready to talk. Yeah. Um, can you give us a little context for this story? Can you set the stage? Sure. I'm going to tell you the story of my publishing trajectory. So ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to write a novel and be a published author. That was that has never not been my thing. Like this has been talked about since I was eight. When I was that age, I begged my mother for a typewriter so I could start writing my novel. Uh, it's all I ever wanted in life, um, and I got it. I worked for it. Um, fast forward to my. Um, about age 35, that was the year that I left Austin to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan to, to attend the uh, MFA Creative Writer Program at the University of Michigan, which is a very prestigious program. It has a 1% acceptance rate. Um, you have to be pretty, not just talented, but lucky to get one of those seats. And I did. Um, wow. And that was a real like turning point in my life when finally, like after years of saying I wanted to be a writer and writing a lot of things that were maybe good, but not great or great, but not super great or complete garbage. Finally, (laughs) like somebody not only acknowledged that I had talent, but gave me this enormous opportunity to um, level up as it were uh, and have this credential that um, wouldn't guarantee success, but would get me like guaranteed like success adjacentness. So, Uh right. So I went to Michigan. uh, I did the program. I had a great time. I learned a lot. uh, And I finished every anxious wave, which is my novel. 
Um, and it won a huge award, the Hopwood Award, which is a very prestigious award. And when you win the Hopwood Award, uh, people in New York find out about it. And then I started getting calls from agents. Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, people had, how did you get your agent? I was like, well, my agent got me. Like, I, didn't, I don't have like a hard luck story there. Uh, we all got, uh, we all got scouted. Uh, at our program. And, you know, maybe that's not fair, but that's how that works. So I got my agent and we worked on this novel. We rewrote it kind of together-ish for almost a year. And then she put mm-hmm. it on the market and it sold very quickly um, to St. Martin's Press. Uh, and then I had an editor and we rewrote it. And that was another year. Um, I went to New York and we had a fancy party. Uh, I, you know, it, it was very glamorous in my life. For yes. Wow. 2016, 2016. Uh, and in February, 2016, it came out and it was reviewed pretty well. Um, not that anyone, but me pays attention to such things is, is like, so yes, my novel came out and is successful. It's also not successful. This did not launch me into like the higher echelons of the literary world. I never got asked to speak at a university. Uh, you know, I never, it, it, my film rights, I, somebody does own the film rights, but I don't know that that's actually ever going to get made. They do send me a check yeah. every year. Uh, but who knows? Um, and then uh, I wrote a second novel and I finished it. And my agent and I worked on it for a while. And to date, it has got around 50 rejections. That novel will probably never see the light of day unless wow. I publish it. Wow. What a difference. Yeah. I had a two book deal with St. Martin's. They canceled the second book because they didn't like that manuscript. Um, it happens. It happened to me. And that put me in a really dark place for a while. Like on top of other things going on in my life. That the fact that my my gravy train and my dream were kind of like over um, for now. That's not to say that I won't write a third novel or another book that will be published or successful on some level, but to get all these rejections and some of them were really nice. Like I got called a genius in a couple of them. Like <laughs> no one has said that I wrote a bad book. I wrote an unsaleable book. What does that mean? Like, publishing is a business like anything else it's not all about art it's not all about talent it's about business it's about money it's about predicting something that that they can't I mean published like editors are like basically like wandering in in the dark not knowing what's going to take off what's not going to take off um and while this book has it's there's reasons why it was a risk to be taken at the time, you know, it's not it's not as heavy and hardcore as the second book that I wrote, which is about surviving a, an abusive relationship. Mm. This one's just kind of about indie rock and feeling bad about yourself. <laughs> um, you know, to be rejected uh, for what I wrote about something really horrible that happened to me was kind of like they kind of had intersections, like you know. It's nobody's fault. Everybody's just trying to make money and keep their job. Um, and no, I didn't write a bad book. <clears throat> but, like, it still hurt. It still was a yeah. setback. And it changed yeah. my process. 
Because when I sat down to write, I would have it in my head that I have to write, I have to write to please my master. And I don't know who that master is. And anyone who's anyone is going to tell me, no, no, you write what you want. You write from your heart. You, you know, you can do this. You've done it before. You're really good at it. But I wasn't feeling it. And then I had to stop and step back and be like, like, can I continue to write without paying any mind to the external validation factor of it all? Like, mm. what? Like, mm-hmm. will you still write knowing that you may never publish again? You may never have a book party again, you know? Like, maybe you're one and done. And maybe you just need to, like, move on and find something else to do and accept that like everything you write, maybe, you know, you'll do, you'll do shows in Austin and that's, that's as good as it's going to be for you forever. And like, I really had to like sit with that and like, is that okay? I don't really have any control over how people receive my work and it doesn't serve me to beat myself up over like, I didn't write the thing that they wanted. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah, so that put me in a pretty dark place where I wasn't doing a lot of work. Where so, and then that made me feel even worse. And then I would get all these like I would write essays that get rejected. I'd apply to residencies that get rejected. Like seriously, twenty nineteen, like everything I asked for was a no. It was <sighs> like it was my year of rejection. Um, and I was looking for a full time job because like I can't keep. I, I'm not making any money writing anymore. So. Uh, better go find work. But I couldn't. Like, I was unemployed for most of 2019. Um, and then I got my job here in Austin at University of Texas. So I turned it around. I have a, I have a full-time job now. It's not it's not writing. It's writing adjacent. I work in the English department. Um, but it's not, it's not the dream. It's not what I had in mind. I was dreaming about my life. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Is it okay? I mean, let's do that. <laughs> I don't know. You tell right me. now because the way the world is, I'm just lucky to have a job. Yeah, really. Yeah. So that there's that perspective, but also like I have all my life put so much pressure on myself to be successful, and now maybe with this, I have the opportunity to redefine what success means to me. Yeah. That is my story, Aiden. Wow! Thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. Uh, that's a vulnerable story to share. Yeah. Because that story feels like you might still be in the middle of it in a way. You know, like you ended that with maybe this is an opportunity to redefine what success means for you. Yeah. And so to me, I'm like, well, then there's the end of your story is when you figure out what that means, which seems like a hindsight kind of a figure out. Sure. Maybe. Maybe. Um, what What do you think your biggest lesson is from this moment in your, I mean, you've been on a journey of learning from this already. What's the biggest lesson? You have to keep art and business far away from each other because mm. when you bring them together, you release control of the outcome and that's scary. And that's, it's personal. Like, yeah, it's not like I go to my day job and maybe I forget to do something and my boss points out that I forgot to do it and I apologize and I do it, you know, like that's, 
that's not a reflection on my soul, <laughs> but it's like, oh, you, my, I, you read my whole novel and you tell me that you can't sell, you can't deal with it. You can't sell it. You can't, it doesn't speak to you. Like, oh, well. Wow. Right. Do you, have you ever gone down the mental road of what it would mean to self-publish? I have, and I haven't, because of my relationship with my agent, like she wants, we have a plan for like going forward. It does not include that. So I'm uh-huh. still, you know, maybe we'll see what happens. We'll see how the publishing world bounces back after this. Like maybe, you know, like I don't, I can't really forecast what that's going to look like. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I would, I would totally self-publish it, but we're, we're waiting to uh, finish a third novel and then bring them both out. You're like, here's the third novel. Oh, and by the way, here's the second one. Still available. So <laughs> that yeah. seems like a decent plan. Are the are the stories related to the first novel? No. Totally different so, story. And the third novel is totally different too. So interesting. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what the value then is of saying, here's the third novel. But by the way, there was a second rather than just relieve release the third as the second and then release the second as the third. That's probably what will happen. Hopefully. Roger that. Roger Roger that. that. I mean, so one of the things that uh, it sounded to me like happened in the course of that story, this like tiny micro decision, maybe it was a massive decision, but in the year of rejection, you were like, you accepted a job outside of the city where you were living. Yeah. And was that part of that decision to shake things up for yourself or were you looking for jobs outside of the city, outside of Portland the whole time? I was looking for jobs outside of Portland. I didn't want to stay in Portland. So oh, okay. I had, like there were like five cities I was looking at and one of them was just to come home to Austin, which is the safest choice I could make. You know, it's very, it's nice to be home. Uh, it doesn't feel any different. It's comforting to be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I, I kind of regret, oh, I didn't really, like, all the times I came home and went to bed after work instead of going out and seeing a friend, I, oh, my God, what did I do? Um, <laughs> he'll come back. He'll come back. Um, yeah, this was, this was, like, I was like, I don't really, I don't need to make a, I mean, I, I thought about going to Seattle. I thought about going back to Southern California where my mom lives. I thought about going back to New England where I went to college. Um, and then this was the job I got. So. Like Austin, great, easy peasy. I mean, that seems like a pretty great outcome to me. Yeah, because I'm a big fan of Austin, and I miss <laughs> living there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. HEB's keeping us alive, and <laughs> yeah, man, HEB's been making national news because of the wonderful things that they do. Yet again, it's not the first time HEB has made national news because of the wonderful things that they do. Uh, they're pretty fantastic. What was that? Um, I have a, I have an HEB pickup at four thirty today. Oh, nice! Are you getting Are you getting tortillas because they make really good tortillas? You know they. So I mean I don't know this this is, has anything to do with the art of change, but they they're not making the tortillas right now because the tortilla machines in most stores are like out in the store. And <sighs> I had to shut them down for safety. So I, do, I do have sense. tortillas in my freezer from AGB, um, but I and I have a tortillas in my order today, but they're like not AGB brand. They're like whatever. Brand. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well done, AGB. Yeah, good decisions. 
Right. You got to do what you got to do. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know what that has to do with the art of change. That's just a little personal. You just wanted to talk personal. about it. I just needed to talk I about HEB. I would love for someone from HEB to come be a guest on my show because I feel like they, they, uh, ha- you know, I should reach out. They have um, demonstrated time and time again that they are willing and ready to adapt for the benefit of their customer base. And I think that that's a pretty, the willingness to adapt to me, that is the art of change in a nutshell, like change is change. The artfulness of it is that willingness to adapt and the curiosity about what adapting means and how can we adapt up as opposed to just adapt responsively out of a panic, a panic perspective. Um, but so to me, when I hear your story and I think of that frame, my frame on change and that, you know, everybody's got their own frame. Uh, I'm like, that's why I'm like, this feels like the middle when I hear your story. I'm like, right, it's not the end I of the can't, story. yeah, I can't wait to hear what happens at the end of this story. I'm on the edge of my seat, you know? Right. It's, <laughs> but, I think it's a matter of patience, which is something that I'm learning right now. Like, and um, not to stake too much or or to be cognizant of your desires in life like Mm. something I was writing yesterday about like all like that phrase like lord save me from the things I want or lord protect (laughs) me from the things I want like what about those times when Lord did not protect me from the things I wanted. And that was this thing. This, like, I'm writing a lot right now. I'm not going to show it to anyone. It's just between me and my higher power at this point in time. Um, but yeah, it was what, like, like, what do I, like, when I get sad about, like, not publishing that second book, like, what, what is that? What am I sad about? Like, is it because, you know, I, I did what I said I was going to do. I successfully completed a novel. Who does that? I mean, that's not, that's hard. I've done it twice. Yeah. Um, You know, am I upset that I failed to impress somebody that happens to have some sort of sway in the world of publishing? Um, No, it's all about like wanting to be seen. It's all about Mm -hmm. wanting to be praised and acknowledged. And um, can I live without that? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) But do you want to? But do I want to? Um, You know, and and this is probably like, I I mean, this is vulnerable. Like, this is like, I would say to people, like, that's all I have. I have nothing but my career right now. Like, I don't have a partner. I don't have a family. I don't have a job. I don't have anything. I have this writing career that came and went, and I'm on the went side, and maybe it'll come back, and maybe it won't. And, like, what it's not feeding me and it's just making me feel bad about myself. Um, so of course I got depressed. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but then I was like, well, I have to change this somehow. And it's, I can't change it by like waving a magic wand and like, Oh, here's your new book contract. Oh, people are going to read your book and tell you how great you are and all that stuff again. Is that really necessary for, for my happiness? God, I hope not. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope not. Uh, but I also want for you to get those things again. It, I mean, a fancy New York party sounds fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah, to not need it and have it 
and right. is a different thing than to need it and get it because then it seems to me that if it was something that you needed, even getting it wouldn't satisfy. It would never live up to the need. Whereas getting it when you don't need it, it would it doesn't matter if it lives up to the need. Yeah, maybe. Right. Perhaps. Perhaps. But yeah, so like, I have to like, there came a point like a year or so ago where I was like, okay, the only way that I'm going to get right in the head with any of this is to take a spiritual approach, which is not my usual way of doing things. Um, and it seemed like it was the only way to change like how I felt about myself and everything that I had been led to believe about how I was an acceptable person in the world. Um, and a lot of that came from always being with groups of people that put a high value on success. Uh So that would be my family. That would be Smith college where I did my undergrad where, you know, we spend a lot of time on Facebook talking about how we all feel like losers, even though like we're some of the most prestigious women we ever come across. Um, Yeah. Some of the greatest minds in the world, I imagine. Right. right there in those conversations talking about how you're all losers. Oh, yeah. The human we, mind's ability to self-deprecate is so amazing to me. Right. And then, like, every artistic pursuit I've done in the last 20 years, like, some of them went better than others, like, like we <laughs> do, like everybody else. So, um, overall, I'm not doing bad. As long as I'm still getting up in the morning and trying everything should be fine. And yet for so long, it wasn't. Um, and I'm kind of liking this period of time, even though I like miss coffee shops and hugs and air travel and going to my office, even I, you know, I, I, I don't worry about that right now because it isn't there. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist right now. And maybe there's some relief in that. It'll come back, but it'll feel mm-hmm. different when it does. So, Yeah. Well, if there was anything that you would want to leave people with, any sort of wisdom about change or writing or self, what would you leave people with today? Sure. It's a struggle to keep out of your head other people and their opinions and their power over your destiny in terms of writing. Um, and I, God knows I'm not good at it, but it's gotta, you gotta just keep your, keep your mind and your heart on the work and leave the other stuff for later. You know, it, it, it is what it is. You can't, you can't control it. You can't stake your identity on it. You can't let it make you miserable. So learn from your aunt Mo. Just keep fighting. <laughs> I love Don't it. Worry about that stuff. Make art. So. Amen. 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 Well, Mo, thank you so much for spending a little time here today and sharing your story and those thoughts. I deeply appreciate it. My pleasure. Absolutely. And next time I see you, I have a hug for you. I'm going to squeeze you like a tube of toothpaste, Aiden. You have no idea. I'll hold you to that. I'll hold you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And um, best of luck. Thank you, Anna. Take care. Good to see you. You too.
you ever accomplished a goal only to discover that the results left you feeling unsatisfied? Have you ever found yourself on a path that you knew you wanted, but the universe kept sending you the message that you needed to reevaluate? It is easy to view people's accomplishments from the outside and say, wow, they really made it. But the reality is that life is perpetually in motion, and Mo's story gives us a near-picture-perfect example of just how imperfect all of it can be. As John Lennon famously said, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset equips us to pick ourselves up, regroup, and believe in our abilities to learn more, grow skills, and accomplish much. But it's still no guarantee. Sometimes flexibility means figuring out how to regroup while heading down the same path, and sometimes it means recognizing that it's time to find a new one. Each moment on whatever path we're on, we will be presented with opportunities to be changed, to pivot. As they say, life is 10% what happens, and 90% what you do with what happens. I'll be excited to find out what path Mo lands on in the future. Will it be more amazing novels, or will her brilliance show up in other ways? Only time, opportunity, and Mo will tell. If you haven't already read Mo's novel, Every Anxious Wave, pick up a copy at your local bookseller. Of course, visit us anytime at www.thechangedpodcast.com. And please be sure to like, subscribe, and rate this podcast wherever you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of moments in life that you are excited to tell stories about.